welcome to Funny Business, a podcast for free thinkers. I'm Robbie Hicks. And I'm Lockie Bradford. And on today's episode, we've got the king, Tim Duggan. I'm very, very happy we're releasing this bad boy. I just finished editing editing this up. Uh, editing this up. Get your fucking language right, mate. <laughs> I just finished editing this podcast uh, just before, and I've got to say, it's been one of my favourite ones, I reckon. There's so many quotes from this, and if you're looking to get into the media, build your personal brand, and understand that sort of world... Unbelievable. What do you think? Building businesses that people adore. Cult status, his book. And I'll tell you why. He's talking to us from his van in Esperance, WA. Editor at large. I like that job. Oh, he's just doing what he wants, isn't he? He's living the dream. And I feel like all the hard work and stuff, he explains, he goes into detail about junkie, finding the audience, building the community. Oh, it's just a ripper chat. chat. He's a good human. He's a good human, isn't he? I'm glad we've, we've met Big Tim. We're laughing this morning. We went and looked at Bells Beach and the surf was pumping and like we're about to kick off our day. I had a coffee and I was like, fuck, it's pretty good. I can't believe we've kick-started all our different (laughs) things and we're living in this place. It's like the world feels different. Gratitude, man. Gratitude, yeah, gratitude. Life's good. Namaste. It is, it is. (laughs) It is good. Mate, well, let's kick it off because I know hopefully we'll get you and the internet doesn't die and all that sort of stuff where we are. Um, We we record from the start just so I don't forget. Um, that's yeah. our that's our thing. Locke Lock reckons I'm going to forget at some stage, but I never have. And I, at this stage, I probably <laughs> yeah, you're, you're touch wood. Right. Touch right. wood. It says recording there, so we're all good, mate. Tim, thanks for joining us on the pod, all the way from Esperance, WA. Fellas, it's not. It's nice to be here. Yeah, I come to you from Esperance in WA, which is the middle of bloody nowhere, but also one of the most beautiful places I've ever seen. I tell you, is that the place where you, you see all those Instagram videos that come through and the, the water's amazing? It's like the pictures of the surf, longboarding surfers that are going along and there's dolphins. It's like Fire Festival teaser video, isn't it? It's just like, it just looks so yeah. beautiful. <laughs> it is my, my husband, who's Scottish, he kind of came here and he was like, This is what they sell the Brits on, what Australia's meant to be like. Like, yep. you know, completely white sand and like 50 shades of blue in the water. And kangaroos hopping on the bloody sand is like this is what overseas people are sold on what australia is like and you need to come all the way to perth and then drive for eight hours to get here everything's a post postcard isn't people it people turn up to melbourne they go what the what what's this Ooh, this is gotham city what's going on here where's the bat where's the bat <laughs> yeah. no kangaroos here <laughs> where are the beaches that's it mate so let's rewind for those we always ask the same kick off the same question yeah. who, who are you and what do you do um, good question. So my name is Tim Duggan. Um, I These days I call myself an author first. Um, so I've, my first book called Cult Status came out um, about six months ago. Um, it's all about how to build a business that people adore. And that kind of came out of my day job for the past 15 years was running a media company called Junkie Media, um, which is a digital publisher for millennials. Um, we started it when I was, you know, when we were kind of like in our twenties and then became into our thirties and I just turned 40 now, the world's oldest living millennial. Um, But Junkie Media um, is kind of, we've got a bunch of, a bunch of websites. Junkie is one of them, one called Punky, um, a travel title called AWOL. Um, So I kind of ran that as the publisher and co-founder for the last 15 years. And then in October last year, um, I left there full-time and I'm now currently traveling around Australia into my fifth month of traveling around Australia. Um, we've so far done most of New South Wales, Victoria, Northern Territory, and now we're in WA. 
Um, and I'm now currently the editor at large of Junkie Media, which basically means that I drive around and a couple of days a week, I will kind of like Zoom call someone from some location and, and do some work. Um, so yeah, that's my current update in a nutshell. Oh, you're living the dream. I've been keeping up to date on your Instagram and I'm just looking at that going, mate, this bloke's working, doing all this stuff. He's nailed life. He's figured it out. He's got the, <laughs> he's got the secret. What is the secret? You know, had, we were talking earlier um, a couple of weeks ago, I suppose, and about how you wanted to make this like a lifestyle thing and, and change it up and, and do this. Like, can you explain why you've decided to go traveling and do all that stuff and continue to work from your van? Yeah, I feel like we've, and I, I kind of say this every time I rock up somewhere that's in the middle of nowhere and I find that there's kind of pretty good internet that I can hotspot from my phone. Um, I've kind of found that it feels like right now technology is finally caught up to the freedom that we want to have. But that concept of being a digital nomad has been around for, you know, 10, 15 years, probably since laptops kind of got popularized 15 or so years ago. But it feels like it's only now that a couple of things, trends are kind of like all converging. One is that internet is pretty good no matter where you go. Two is that things like COVID mean that dialing in from Zoom into a meeting doesn't make you feel like you're the bludger and everyone else is in the office and you're not. It's kind of normalized that. Um, and then three, I just got to a stage now where a lot of the work that I can do, so I'm writing my second book, I'm um kind of doing some consulting work for brands that I care about and I'm doing you know just just kind of uh, staying in touch with um a couple of businesses that I've kind of invested in that I think are pretty cool and I can do that from anywhere um like I can you can sign a contract digitally um I've invested in um like heaps normal which is a awesome non-alcoholic beer brand um recently oh, look at that yeah, good mate. product placement product placement thank you we we're like do we have any beers <laughs> and i go we put a case of heaps normal bro let's <laughs> crack one man yeah awesome yeah um and i like i, I signed the in you know the investment to invest into that um whilst i was staying in the, you know the, in, a, in a camper van somewhere and signed it on my computer and took a photo of it or took kind of like a screenshot and that to me just felt like it was this like moment where in the past you needed to be you know like chained to a desk and to a photocopier and to a scanner in order to do stuff like that mm. so we are living in weird times Locke and i've been saying that a lot like that that change of social norms or like what's treated as acceptable and like that whole being remote working this is from the home start too isn't it this well, is just, the start, like that really, nine to five yeah. that nine to five life come out of the industrialization is like that that time of being in a factory and working hours and this is what you have to do i I, it's I, over baby well coming out of coming out of school did you ever think that that was i couldn't believe my life for a couple of years there i was like fuck i don't know how i got to how do people get to work for 50 years in the same spot doing the same thing like walk to the train get the train swap trains go on like to work. surely something someone's got to invent something better than this doing my groceries you know? at 9 yeah. p.m at night going what's going on yeah how yeah. do i live my life or just, or just question it i think that's the the like i think we now can question is this the is this the right lifestyle for me um and so you know one of the questions that i'm asking is what i'm this kind of what i'm trying to do at the moment is uh, every so my husband and i are both traveling around he works in tourism marketing he quit his job and i left mine and we've kind of been on the road for the past five months and the question is how much do we need to work in order to kind of get work done that's also the minimum amount of time so we can spend the rest of the time exploring 
and the moment uh, my hypothesis is I've kind of decided to like flip the week so instead of working five days and having two days off at a weekend we're working two days and then having five days off kind of to travel around so every Monday and Tuesday that's when I book in time to do writing time to do consulting do video calls do awesome podcast interviews the guys like yourself um, and just try and squeeze that all into two days a week and work really hard during those two, well, not really hard, work, work <laughs> smart during those two days um, and then have the rest of the five days to travel around and then it becomes completely sustainable. How's that gone so far? Has it worked out pretty, have you been yeah, like, taking pretty... calls or done things in those days off? Has it worked out as smoothly as you liked? No, pretty good. I, I think it's good because you can, you know that there's a set day when you can kind of schedule things in. Um, as opposed to just like kind of scheduling things in on a Thursday, all of a sudden we need to be somewhere with, with good internet. Um, th- like there's a lot of unknowns when you're on the road as to like we've, we've generally we'll pull over the camper van and go to an Airbnb or go to a hotel for those two days so that we know we're going to get good internet. But we've rocked up at some Airbnbs where they either the internet wasn't working or it just kind of like hadn't worked. And that that's a bit shit when it kind of, and then we have to go to a cafe and work from a cafe and working from a cafe kind of sucks. Like there's so much distraction going on around you. So you, I kind of like need a bit of focus and nothing much going on around me, which is generally a private space. Well, I, I can't work with people. I can, but like, I get, <laughs> no, no, that's the wrong thing. Hey, not when I'm, I'm going to, I'm going to cut that clip and just put that everywhere. Put in mouth type stuff. I can, I can work with people. I'm our profession. I'm a coach. I go out there and work with people. I can, I can work with people. I take it back, but. I can't concentrate and get like deep work and shit done when I've got the attention span of a goldfish. I can easily get distracted and be like, oh, yeah. here's, here's, shiny yeah. things, here's yeah? a dumpling. Do you want to go for dumplings, Rob? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's, it's one thing I do miss about being back in the city is I miss all the good food spots. We go for lunch and there's not that many options here in Torquay, Tim, you know, of, yeah. we can only have so many. I don't um, even know what ingredients are. I eat everything out of a packet. You know what I mean? So I'm like, what do you mean? I have to cook, I have to mix stuff together and make it, you know? <laughs> like take us, you're, you're the content and media guru. We're looking at all, you want a bit of a stalk and like, did you get sick of going to awards nights? Yeah. You win in everything. <laughs> um, do you know what? I kind of did by the end. That sounds, that's the, like the most, that's the lamest thing I think I've ever said. But um, uh, we, 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 we entered loads of awards because they were really um, useful to kind of like when we were building the company, particularly when, so Junkie Media had kind of two, has, has two sides. It's got Junkie Media, which is all the media brands. And then it has an agency side called Junkie Studio. And whenever we launched something, um, we would kind of make it our mission to try and um, build the profile of that pretty quickly. So when we launched Junkie in 2013, one of our kind of KPIs when we launched it was we wanted to win Media Brand of the Year at the Mumbrella Awards, which was like the biggest awards night for our kind of industry. Um, and we won it in the first 12 months of operating. Um, and that was huge for us. That kind of like made Junkie stand out. So then when we launched Punky, which was its cheekier, cheekier younger sister in 2016, I think it was, we had that same KPI. We wanted to be media brand of the year and we were media brand of the year also in the first year. So it felt like having something to kind of aim towards and having like a, like a goal like that actually really motivated the team. And we put a lot into it and we went, okay, if we were going to be the media brand of the year in a year's time, what does that need to look like? Well, how big does our audience need to be? Um, how many um, content pieces do we need to create? 
Um, so we kind of had these kind of KPIs all with that goal in mind. So yeah, awards are one of those things also that they they mean a lot if you win it, if you don't win it, the stupidest things in the world. Um, so we kind of, um, you know, you, you take it with a, a grain of salt. How did it all start? How did the idea start? Like where did where did Junkie or Junkie Studio, where did the idea come Filming from? And, out, yeah. and how did you how did you kick it off? Yeah, that actually it all came from recognizing an opportunity in the market. So we it was about 2012. We were looking at the market, and up until then we'd been primarily a music publisher. So our early websites, um, so in the mix and faster louder, and kind of quite we were a music publisher but we had bigger ambitions than that. And so we did a lot of research. Like we, we commissioned an independent research company called Pollinate Research to kind of like try and find out how young people were feeling. And what we discovered was that there was actually this real gap for what we kind of called smart young people. Um, it sounds a bit stupid to say that, but I think at the time, a lot of the media for young Australians was kind of a bit, um, vacuous or it kind of didn't have that much depth to it and we saw that there was all these like smart young people that didn't really have a website to go to so we created Junkie in 2013 to kind of be your smartest funniest best friend to help kind of explain some of the news and information to you um, we were really lucky in well this we were lucky for Junkie but unlucky as a country which is about six months after Junkie got um, we started Tony Abbott got elected as Prime Minister and young people just hated, and lots of people hated him, but young people in particular hated him and thought he was a real dickhead. And we were able to kind of harness a lot of that energy and enthusiasm and like anti-Abbott um, kind of like sensibility out there and put it into junkie and kind of like almost have it the anti-Abbott. Same way that Donald Trump has kind of enthused a lot of people and got people excited about politics because of he was such a terrible president. I think Tony Abbott did the same thing for young people. Did eating the onion help? <laughs> yeah. Surely Every that post would have gone bananas. <laughs> it did. Every single... So, God, I, there's a list of things. Eating the onion, um, appointing himself the minister for women. That was a bloody good one. <laughs> <laughs> um, just everything that he did. That, uh, the, bringing back, like, knighthood. You remember for, for a hot minute, he brought back sirs and dames and ladies and stuff like that until yeah. everyone said that was a stupid idea like everything that he did we covered and it just blew up because he was such an idiot how important is that like culture hacking then like getting onto trends and stuff like if you are building a brand especially like a media sort of outlet and publisher like how important is it to like get that information spin it through a filter to your audience like you said you identified the gap in the market like what, what type of content are you looking for? How are you looking to spin it? Like are, you, are there other websites that you're drawing from or is it just the news or how does that work? Yeah, I, I think it's important. First of all, you've got to build the base. So you've kind of got to have a base audience that's there. You've got to have um, good, um, a good target market of who you're trying to get to. And once you've kind of got that base, you then just got to kind of like wait for things to happen that you can jump on that you can own. So in that case, it was Tony Abbott doing that stuff. And then once we then had a bigger audience, because we, we then had almost 700 or a million people a month coming to Junkie in the first, after the first six months, um, which was not what we were kind of expecting. And then once you've got that bigger audience, you can then kind of go even further and try and kind of build off the top of it. But I think it's the most important thing that we did was having a really clear 
um, target market and having a really clear kind of opportunity where we saw a space that wasn't being um, serviced by other media at the time. How important is it to find the right people then that align with what you're trying to in then trying to hit that target market? Like are you looking for people who got that sort of edge don't know how to talk to these people, communicate, um, right? Like how, how did you go about getting the team on board? Yeah, we, we were super lucky to, to, to build a great team from the start. Um, so the junkies first kind of one of founding editors um, was an awesome uh, editor that we, we kind of found called Steph Harmon. And this was one of her first kind of big jobs and she's now gone on, she's the culture editor at the guardian. Um, and then Steph built this team around her of, we had probably about 50 to hundred of some of the most interesting, diverse new voices in the country. And we were so proud of that team that we built and that kind of almost felt a bit like a family. Um, and we, we kind of like, I'm, you know, feel super proud to this day that we were able to kind of give a voice and a platform for a lot of new writers and new voices to kind of be heard in Australia. Um, and they were people who um, hadn't really had the platform to be able to talk about their views. And then what happened then was then we started building that into a real life um, physical thing as well. So we launched this event called Junket a few years into Junkie that we held for three years down in Canberra where we brought 200 really interesting young people from all walks of life to um, a hotel in Canberra and basically locked them in the hotel for three days and said, hey guys, we want you to figure out um, where Australia can go and what, what our potential can be over the next few years. And it was everyone from CEOs through to politicians, through to people in media, through to um, social workers, through to doctors and um, all kind of came together, 200 people each year. And that became this like amazing kind of glue. And I'm still friends with most of those people and the connections that all those people made with each other. Like we had laws passing off the back of that. We had businesses getting started. We had startups being founded. We had things being funded. Um, and that was, that was super important to kind of take something that was digital and put it on, put it into the real world. Like harnessing the energy, isn't it? And creating something and facilitating that experience and, and that like, I don't know, environment for people where they can feel that inspired to do stuff with other people. Like it's hard. It's, that's the magic, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, totally. And it, and it really was magic. Like it was one of those, if you speak to anyone who came to Junket in 20, I think we, we held it 2015, 16 and 17, anyone who came there, there was this like almost cult like magic um, uh, that kind of came from that, that we didn't expect the first time we did it. And just I, I love seeing all of these connections that were made at that event that continue to kind of bear fruit to this day including myself like I met um, Lex Hurst who so the first year was curated by Jess Scully um, who went on now is the Deputy Lord Mayor of Sydney um, and the second and third year was curated by um, Lex Hurst who was a the commission editor at Penguin Random House and then she ended up publishing books by myself so she's now my publisher and she published Jess Scully's book um, and a book by like this amazing psychologist called Mary Huang that just came out this week a, a couple of weeks ago so all of these kind of connections that were made from that event are still kind of bearing fruit today which is amazing. That's unreal it must be pretty rewarding knowing that you've helped if you didn't start this you've seen all these different change especially like I guess, I guess law changes I want to touch on that like being involved in the media and really touching the borderline of what people think like really being on the the pulse of what people are thinking to the point where you can have influence influence to change 
what re- what government what law, society is what society yeah. is that must be like a pretty rewarding thing to be involved in it's it really is and it, it's 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 a big responsibility when you have an audience and I think you kind of have a responsibility of what are you going to, how are you going to help your audience or move them forward in some way? Um, of course, entertaining is kind of like one thing that you can do, but how can you educate them as well? Or how can you kind of take that responsibility seriously in order to make society slightly better than it was before you started? Um, and I think junkie over the years, I've, I've been just super proud and I continue to watch it now that I'm not involved on a day-to-day basis it's been able to kind of educate and help kind of bring to light some of these important issues and, and bring together people. And yeah, it's, it's, it's been a real privilege. It's been pretty amazing. It's been it's cool to watch on the outside. I just, I like information delivered like in a different ways that people can like, it's like your audience don't have to. So others like when just you, so bland. When you, you see so stuff, bland. when you see stuff and it's talking directly to you in a language that you're like, I can't believe he's talking to me like that. You know what I mean? And it feels super personal. That's when you're onto something magic. You know what I mean? It's like what we try and tell people with their brands and stuff like that is to just put that, put the vibe out there. You know what I mean? Like you attract what you put out. Yeah. You're putting out, Land boring, stale stuff. You're going to attract mm. land boring, stale yeah. readers, listeners. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So true. All right. Let's talk about like your, oh, you've, your latest book, um, talking about the communities there and, and the importance of that, like building, building, um, building businesses people adore. Is that the, is that the tagline? Yeah. That is, that's the tagline. Yeah. Yeah. There's yeah. A, I've read in the blurb, had the, had the 14 practical tips. You, you give the full spiel. Uh, Rob's a bit disappointed he hasn't got a signed copy in the mail yet. You were just saying before, weren't you? <laughs> That's right. And then <laughs> the mail from mail from Esperance takes ages. Like, tell us about the process of sitting down to like you've gone through all these different experiences, junkies taken off, you sit down, you're gonna go, Suffer, I'm gonna write a book. How does how do you get from business owner founder running a business to deciding to sit down and get Do- your thoughts yeah. and document get them out of your head and onto a piece of paper or digital whatever yeah no it was it was it was out of it was onto a piece of paper eventually it started off as digital um <laughs> uh i i originally it was a new year's resolution to be honest about two or three years ago i was on a plane coming back from kuala lumpur where i was at um for new year's eve and I just turned to my husband as I was on the plane back and I was like, I want to write that book this year. I kind of like always had this idea that I wanted to write something in the back of my head, but trying to kind of find, once again, it's a bit like launching a a website, trying to find what the gap in the market is, why someone should read it, why they would care, what they're going to get out of it. It takes a while for that to percolate in your head. And so I kind of like sat back and looked at all the things that we'd done at Junkie Media and what I had learned over the years. And um, I also am a huge reader of business books. Like I've read most of the business books out there and I, and I love them. And what I felt though, that there was, there was a new generation of people coming through who weren't necessarily served by a lot of the current business books. Um, I felt like there's a lot of Americanization in some of them. There's a lot of like hyper-masculinity in, in some of them as well. Um, and I just kind of felt that there was this new generation coming through who we had been talking to at Junkie over the years and we've been doing research on and they were starting to start all these businesses um, and these businesses were starting to have big impact, but no one was really talking about them. People were talking about either these bigger businesses without looking at all of this proliferation of growth that was happening. 
Um, so I started looking into them and I kind of tried to figure out what they all had in common. And I traveled around the world. I went over to Silicon Valley and I started speaking to people. And the more people I spoke to, the more I realized that all of them had a bunch of things in common. So my book, Cult Status, is essentially a kind of a distillation of 50 or 60 people I spoke to who I think are building phenomenal businesses that have really strong communities around them, what they all have in common, and then it's kind of peppered throughout with a bit of my journey with co-founding Junkie. Um, and it just, it's kind of everything that was, it's been inside my head for the past 15 years. And it's amazing to have it on a piece of paper and then give it to people. And then every single day now I'm getting emails or Instagram messages or um, LinkedIn messages from people that are reading the book. And the way that people are like taking it and remixing it and learning from it and growing with it and doing the practical exercises, um, it's freaking cool. Oh, you touched on something amazing there and that was the community aspect. And that's like, I feel like with me and you, when we started our first business, Obi and Co, we feel like we didn't have that community or that, that sort of vibe or anything like that. We sort of had a product that we thought was good. It was a great product, but we didn't have anyone. We didn't tell a story, you know what I mean? And mm. now with the podcast, it feels like we've gone the opposite way. And that's a big part of the reason why it's, or, or it is the reason why it's been going so well lately, I think is because we've built that audience and that sort of fan, fan base at the start, I suppose. Yeah. Yeah. Totally. And watching what you guys are doing, it's awesome. It's awesome to see because I feel like you are starting to build something that has cult status and the, my simple definition of something with cult status is something that has a group of people um, around it who really believe in the purpose of why it exists. So if you can find a core group of people and it doesn't matter the size, you don't need to have, hundred thousand of those people you could have a hundred of them and if you find a hundred people who are like fuck yeah i really you know want to talk about business in a funny and engaging interesting way that is the core of how you build cult status um and so every business that i was starting to speak to from shoe company Allbirds, through to cosmetics go to through to you know home uh, uh, self-care and home care like thank you group every single one of them I spoke to, I was like, what do they have in common? And it was all that the people that bought products from them or services from them, they all really fiercely identified with their purpose and they agreed with their purpose. And therefore they became rusted on consumers of that company. And that's how that company kind of built cost status. I love that. I'll tell you, we, funny enough that we talk about cult stuff in one of the early chats that Locke and I did, he started, went down a rabbit hole. I think it was just me and him talking. Mm. It was one of our early episodes. And he started talking, because we're talking about cults and the, the ability of people to have influence and brand and all that sort of stuff. And he was, who was your, Charles Manson? Charles Manson. Charles yeah. Manson. And he was like, maybe we can go down the dark side and talk about like, he, still, <laughs> he was still like talking about cult status and getting people to like take action and doing stuff. He's like, That's can awesome, you learn man. from all the, are you allowed to take, yeah, like learnings from learnings. psychopaths, like even G.G. Allen to an extent. You know what I mean? Like I look <laughs> yeah. back at the old stuff of him and I'm like, geez, that guy's crazy. But in terms of brand and, and just like that sort of thing, Marilyn Manson comes to mind now. You know what I mean? Like the shock jock back then, it was more like, holy shit, there are a lot of people who sort of feel like that and they've, they've put themselves out there. Yeah, and they're like in a really kind of fucked up way that is similar to what happens when you build a community. Like yeah. people really subscribe to what they're doing. In their case, you know, crazy way because they're doing it too much and the people leading them don't have the best of intentions they don't ask but if to kill you... people at the end of it you know <laughs> yeah totally yeah don't drink the kool-aid <laughs> um 
But if you like a lot of the book looks at things like rituals and how a business can have rituals um, and the simplest, you know, that obviously comes from cults and it comes from religion. And the simplest way of thinking of um, a ritual that a business has is looking around and seeing what is it that your customers or clients are already doing and how can you lean into that? Um, I'll give you like a perfect example of that, which is last week I was on Rottnest Island um, over here in WA. Um, the one that's the most beautiful island um, out with there. The quokkas? And with the quokkas. Yeah. Yeah. So, the, so quokkas. quokkas. They look like yeah. just, they're, they're the cutest little things I've ever seen. Have you seen a picture of them? Yeah. I've seen the don't kick a quokka thing that the, <laughs> there was a thing on a current affair where people were kicking quokkas and stuff. And <laughs> no, that's, that's not. That, like, you can't <laughs> kick a quokka. You can't kick a quack out, no. But instead, the, the idea of a ritual was the people that were the, kind of the um, tourism body running Rottnest Island noticed that people were going up to the quackers and taking a selfie of them um, and then hashtagging it, um, you know, saying, I'm taking a quacker selfie. And that is almost like a ritual that people were doing. And they decided to lean into that. And you go there now and there's these signs here, like all around the place saying how to take a quacker selfie. So like, you know, walk up to them slowly and take this photo and hashtag it quacker selfie so we can reshare it. Um, and that's an example of kind of a, a tourism body that's seen a ritual that people are doing and they're leaning into it and kind of making it, giving it steps so that other people can easily follow it. Is that like step one when you look into like brand and all that sort of stuff is look at the things that are already working and like how can we just, that's like a low hanging fruit type of thing. Like let's lean into that because that's sort of what they're chasing. Let's stop, tell them what they want. Let's just give them exactly what they want, you know? Yeah, yeah. Ob observe. Just kind yeah. of sit back and watch. And so, you know, with you guys building your community, it's like trying to figure out what is a ritual that you can make part of that. And it could be when someone joins it, or it could be, you know, a weekly something that you do in your, um, as in your community. It's like figuring out what those ritual things are or how you can kind of create a language that all your people who are part of the community use that same language together. Oh, I like that. This is good. I'm liking this chat. I'm loving this because it's helping us. You really, I'm, I'm delving deep because I'm just picking it for what we're doing. So <laughs> I tell you what I do want to talk about is I want to, I want to get your thoughts on, are we in the intention game? One of the people that we listen to a lot and you, you hear a lot of people talk, especially in that, because I don't really, I don't feel like there's that many people out there as like super leading authorities in the business space that are putting out content. Like I, like I echo your statement about the business books. They're all, if, if I read like, Talking to crazy Macaulay, was it? Um, the Sunlighter not giving a fuck. And then the next one is something else with fuck in the title. And you're thinking, bro, you can tell me the message. You have to swear at me. We swear, but we're doing. <laughs> but it's like, I listened to the book. I listened to an Audible. And I, he literally just force fed swear words at you to try yeah. and get a message across. I was like, that's not. But it was good for us to uncover to see that that's how some people do that. You know what I mean? I can see how it works. I can connect the dots, you know? Anyway, but yeah. getting back to what I'm trying to get at is that like Gary, like Gary V is someone who talks about, yes, we're in an attention game where he talked about attention arbitrage. And you're someone who's been in that media space. You've, you've built long lasting brand. You've built traffic. You've built an audience and you've got their attention to what they're doing. Is that what your thoughts are? Is that how the world works at the moment? Is it an attention game? it's massively an attention game, but, but the problem is that everyone is trying to get your attention at the same time. And there is so much noise out there, like so many podcasts, so many TV shows, so many websites all doing the same thing. Um, there's this term that we used to use, it was introduced by a really smart guy I know called Stig Richards, um, called infobesity. 
So the idea that we've almost become info beasts because there's so much information kind of like constantly coming at us. And the question then is, do you just add to the noise? Like is the stuff that you are creating just adding more noise there or are you adding to the conversation? So are you giving people something new and something unique? Um, so we like one of the sayings we had a junkie was that we want to add to the conversation, not just the noise. So the idea is if you can give someone something that's unique, so your opinionated take on something or how to interpret something or a funny interpretation of um, the news, that is giving them value. But if you're just not adding value in any way and you're just kind of creating noise for the sake of it, then you're just going to push shit uphill. Like there's no point doing it. I love that. It's more like lean into what makes you unique and what makes, you know, like, like don't try and be like everyone else. It's more like lean into your differences, lean into what you think might be a little bit, you know, that's what I mean. And in terms of attention, like that is, that would grab your attention, wouldn't it? If someone's always talking about like mental health stuff and then someone has an object opinion, you either go on there to engage and hate or whatever, but you read the article, you know what I mean? Like you, yeah. you definitely get the click in. Totally. I, I think giving people an opinion at least gives them like we used to often talk about this uh, uh, which is the idea that giving someone an opinion so that then they can kind of like absorb it and then if they agree with that they can go out and tell their mates that on friday night hey this interesting thing he happened and here's what i think whereas if you just kind of like tell someone what happened and then you know like step back and and don't tell them the why behind it or why it's important um, one of the things that I'm most proud of at Junkie and continues these days is a, a, sh a Facebook news show called The Junkie Takeaway. And it's a daily news show that we publish on Facebook every day, um, hosted by Elfie Scott and Claire Keenan. Um, and it is awesome because it takes one issue of the day. It does it in a really interesting um, way and it kind of tells you what the issue is and then tells you kind of like an opinion based on it or tells you a bit more about it. It kind of explains it rather than just tells you what it is. Um, and that's been hugely successful for us. It's had, you know, tens of millions of views. And how, and how important is like the daily stuff? Like, I mean, like you're saying, like constantly keeping that community engaged. So um, like, why not weekly? Why is it every day? You it's know? pretty, like that's a, it's a, fuck, it's a real challenge to put mm -hmm. out. You're talking about being part of the conversation, not part speed of the noise. Speed to value as well, yeah. Putting out like enormous amounts of content at speed of quality. It's, is that the biggest challenge? Is that the, is that what the aim is? How many good pieces or quality pieces of content can we get out there? Yeah, I, I always feel of, instead of thinking about it, how much quantity is the right amount of quantity, I like to flip it a bit and think of it as, what do you have to say? And how, how much do you need to say that? So in terms of daily works, if you're kind of like commenting on what's happening in that daily news or you know, that your news cycle works so moves so quickly. So Junkie, for example, would have, would publish, you know, dozens of pieces of content a day because the news cycle was so broad and moved really quickly. But there's sometimes if you're, you know, a slower news cycle that doing something of substance once a month makes sense, then I think it's kind of figuring out what is it that you want to say and what's the right cadence for that as opposed to, going we need to do something daily shit we need to find something to talk about think of it the other way being like what is there to talk about and then as often as that is that's how much you should publish how often you should publish oh, i remember yeah i remember getting the old wrestling magazines and it come out like once a month and it was compiled of all the latest whatever but being a kid it, i frothed it because it was once a month i knew and it was going to get like bulk content you know what i mean like all, totally all, yeah so i don't know it was just a different way i consume content from like 
if you watch the wrestling, it's Tuesday, whatever, Thursday. And then you got the main events and stuff. So they, they were pretty frequent. But I like, like looking back now, I look at wrestling now as like a, a good way of how they promote what they do kind of thing. Like behind the scenes, I've been watching a lot of YouTube videos, especially on like Vince McMahon and how he creates all these different characters. And it's like his, yeah, his own TV show, wrestling entertainment, built built stars like The Rock and Well, you've, and me, you've taken me down a couple of rabbit holes around because at the start when you were saying it, I just thought you'd had yeah, a couple yeah, too yeah. many or you'd get <laughs> off your head. I'm going, what's he fucking saying? Yeah, yeah. And he's like, no, nah, we're wrestling characters now. We're wrestling yeah, characters yeah. now. Yeah, and like, nice. Yeah. And it, but it, but I love he, that. He was talking about how, like, because pretty much they're, like, you can, they're All recognizable the- brands that aren't just, they go out there and they do a performance, but there's so many d- deeper layers of why, like talking an- about cult status, yeah. these wrestlers become have adoring fans and communities behind them who do the same moves, wear the same outfits. They got merch. They taught that. And all, and I like going in the psychology of it where it's like all the good ones are just like, they accentuate themselves already. You know, they're not trying mm. to be anyone different. It's more like they just know a good way to communicate their personality and, and create that sort of fanfare, you know? Totally. And they just dial it up. So yeah. they, uh, they take their personality and they dial it up. And yeah. then I think they also, you know, they're, there is planning. They know who their audience is. They know what they're you know, thinking of rituals. They all come out and they've got their thing that they do. Um, one of my mates always calls me Hacksaw because of Hacksaw Jim Duggan. Yes. You know Hacksaw Jim Duggan? Yes. yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, from, from I think it was like oh. the 80s or the 90s. Right, that's old school, man. Yeah. Super old school. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, uh, but there's, you know, he kind of, that was his thing. And like he, it was like one of the chapters in my book is around really refining what your superpower is. Um, and like wrestlers, they bloody refined it. They go out there and they're like, okay, my thing is I have long hair, therefore I'm long hair Dave or, you know, whatever it is. <laughs> and then they really lean into that. So yeah. kind of like figuring out what it is that they do that's going to make them unique. Um, so yeah, I think that wrestling analogy is good. I like that. Oh, thanks, mate. Yeah, I just saw I just saw a bloody video and I was like, it totally makes sense. I'm looking at all the promos and stuff and I'm like, it definitely is an interesting perspective. It makes it easy to understand like the and like how it's broken down, I suppose, and how we can apply it to ourselves and take bits mm. and pieces of everything, you know? Like if you had one superpower, what what what's your superpower, Tim? Wait, do you mean in real life or if I was a superhero? No, from in, in taking life. it from your book, if you had one oh, superpower. Oh yeah, cool. What would it be? Oh, yes. So, so mine is I love building communities and then I love fueling it with stories. So that's kind of like, it took me a while to kind of figure that out. But I just, you know, even with this book now with Cult Status, what I love doing is every single person that's really into it is kind of joining. I've got a mailing list where I sent out, send out like a fortnightly email. And I consider that's almost like, okay, that's my first step in building a community. The next one will be starting up a group of some sort or, um, you know, some kind of space for everyone who who kind of thinks about business in the same way to come together. Um, and then everything that I've done, so from Junkie and um, Punky and AWOL, and then even before that website called Same Same, before that I used to run an event series called Fag Tag. It was always about building this community of people who all thought the same way, bringing them together and then fueling them with stories to kind of grow that community. Oh, you must I work in media because that's a good tagline. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. <laughs> tagline's well thought out. I like it. Crisp. Well, how important is storytelling nowadays? Like, I feel like everyone's just catching up now to go like, oh, maybe we need to storytell and maybe less this and less that. Like we, like the importance of storytelling in the digital age now, like how important is it? It's probably the most important thing. 
people yeah. don't buy products they buy stories so if you can figure out why a product exists or why a service exists or how someone's going to tell their friend about it because in the simplest way that is what storytelling is it's oh i fucking love this podcast over here because it's about these two guys who do this and this this that's the story that is to be told about funny business and your job as the as the kind of the host and creators of that is kind of shaping that story to make sure that it feels right it's shareable that people are going to share it um and it's got the ability to kind of grow and get and become bigger um so i think storytelling is kind of like it, it, as, as soon as people realize that every single thing they do from their own personal brand as such a, a wanky term is but personal brand is a thing and um wrestlers are probably the original pers personal brand people um through to every business that you buy from has a story and is it going to be a good story or is it a bad story and is it a story that you control or is it one that consumers control without you it's kind of up to you yeah so it's like curating it it's like telling the story behind the lens showing them and then less people are likely to dig too if you're giving him sort of everything it's like the kardashians you know what i mean like they open their doors up, they tell the story, but I'm sure there's stuff that they leave out, you know what I mean? But totally, they, they yeah. just give a more in-depth sort of uh, insight into what they're doing in, in their lives. Yeah, because because people will fill in the blanks. So if you don't yeah. give them a story, they'll create their own one. So the question is, is the story going to be one that you control or one that someone else um, so you get kind to of document takes and, and, and take, take the reins of your own narrative? Completely. And particularly things like origin stories. So why did you start? what you're doing um and then that people really want to know who's behind this why are they doing it where does the money come from where does the money go um people are really kind of voting with their wallet based on the story that the product tells them um so you know thank you group is a great um example of that like the biggest you know one of the biggest social enterprises in the country and their story is phenomenal because every single person knows that when you buy something from thank you 100 percent of profits goes to building you know sanitation and things like that in developing countries that is probably the best story i think in australia mm -hmm. and the fact that they've been able to do that you know in in 10 years and kind of take on procter and gamble and unilever and become one of the biggest brands in supermarkets is phenomenal their barcodes are sick too. They're the ones that you can, you've got the thing you can scan the back of their products and you can see exactly what impact that you're, you purchasing this has. You can say, oh, it's involved in this project and my profits go and allocate to this. Isn't that how it works? Yeah, 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 totally. Yeah, it's got to track your impact. And that is the one of the best examples of storytelling because the story then that you're telling is you can say that and when you go shopping with your grandmother at the supermarket, she's like, you know, what hand soap should I buy? oh, you should buy this one, grandma, because of this reason here, and then scan this thing here. It's like they've harnessed that power of storytelling um, to the nth degree. You, you mentioned like being transparent there, like in terms of track showing where the money is and stuff like that and, and showing people giving you an insight. Like when you're purchasing stuff, do you want to see sort of where the money is being spent as a consumer, I suppose, to get on board that community, like in terms of competition, you know, competitors and stuff like that? I think people just want to know more about how something gets to them and, and what happens with their money. So the rise of the kind of conscious consumer of someone wanting to know if they're going to buy a t-shirt, who actually made that? Where does that come from? What's the supply chain been? Who's been involved in that? And then once they do decide they're going to buy it, 
where does that money go? Does it stay in the country? Does it go to a big multinational? Does it go to some dickhead billionaire who owns secretly owns the company? Um, so that entire kind of process of who's behind something, why they're making it, where is it being made? It's important not only for products but also for services. Um, I think that's probably one of the biggest biggest changes that we've seen in consumer mindset this decade is that kind of rise in people want transparency and honesty from companies they interact with. People are a bit more woke. Yeah, they don't give a shit how good the product or service is. If it's if you know like you're purchasing something that's getting thrown in landfill, it's gonna fuck the whatever you yeah. like, nah. I think people got away with a lot more shit too. Before the now the internet's at scale yeah. the way it is and you can it's like people can get access to so much information whenever they want it. You've got no choice. If you're a company or a brand and you're not being transparent or providing information, people look at you going, where's my, what do you mean you're not going to tell me those answers? I can, everyone, yeah. I can go get Joe Blow down the street will tell me exactly what's going on. You're just, it's almost like that trust thing. It's like you're hiding information. It works in the Completely. Rest. Yeah. And, and interestingly, um, when we spoke to lots of 25,000 people over 10 years in, in research that we did, um, we asked them what they wanted in brands. And the number one thing that still came back was quality products. So they, they do want quality first. And then just behind that was brands or companies that act ethically and with integrity. So the, if you have a quality product and then you can show the transparency behind it or who's doing it or why they're doing it, how it's been made, that is the ticket to a successful brand. If you just have one or two of one of those without the other. So if you say, Oh, we're all made of recycled material and you know we're doing this amazing thing but it's a shit product people are not going to buy it so the the desire to do good doesn't supersede the desire for something to actually not be shit yeah so you still got so you say good quality product there. first it doesn't matter how yeah. well it's made or where the money's going if it's shit no one wants it anyway you're still spending money on it you know like it's still yeah 100 so the, the and then make them come back and make them sticky and make it a cult status by doing some good. If you can nail those two things, you're laughing. Tell, tell us about the Netflix pitch. What happened there? I read an article there and it sounds like it's got a bit of an interesting story behind it. Yeah, so we, um, one of the last things I did over the last kind of year at Junkie um, was help kind of grow our studio side of the business. And that's the side of the business where we would take all of the things that we know how to speak to young people and how to do social well and would work with um, a select number of brands um, around the country. And so some of our kind of key partners have been like American Express over the past few years. So all the, most of the social content that's created was, was made by us in our studio. And then for the past 12 months, we've also been working with Netflix where we won the account to create all of their social content in Australia, New Zealand. So across Facebook, Instagram um, and Twitter. Um, so we hired kind of a, a team of people um, before I left and I'm still kind of been involved in doing some work with them. Um, and that is amazing because Netflix is just such a brilliant brand that has so much um, relevancy and kind of connection with people. And at the core, I think one of the reasons that they've succeeded, number one, it's a quality product. Like it's just, it works every time the, the shows and content they do is amazing. But number two, their, their kind of purpose or reason for being is that they want to create more empathy in the world. They want people to kind of see diversity in different stories reflected on screen. And so when you watch a Netflix show, the amount of diversity that you see in the shows, both in the casting of the characters, in who makes it, in the stories that are told, 
like you might not even realize that as a consumer, but they're showing these like breadth of stories about human existence more so than kind of any um, production company in history. And that I think is one of the reasons why that they've kind of got this amazing cult status because it's a quality product. And then they're actually doing some pretty amazing stuff by showing diversity on screen. Was it a buzz to win that when they, did you get a phone call? Was it email? Yeah. What did they say when it was, how you- Yeah, it was. It, it was, it was, so it was a, it was a competitive pitch. We, we competed against um, a bunch of kind of big agencies, big you know, international social agencies. Um, that was always kind of one of my most exciting things because we're, you know, this relatively medium-sized company in Australia, all Australian owned. Um, you know, there's the people who make the decisions all sit in the same room together and we'll compete against these like big multinationals on these accounts. Um, and so we went up for pitch um, and then we, yeah, we won it. So we got a, I, I, I didn't remember if it was a phone call. I think I'm sure it would have been a phone call um, and just kind of told that we'd won the business and we then had to go out and hire, you know, half dozen people and um, just kind of build this amazing content creation team that goes there and works hand in hand with the crew at Netflix um, to just do really amazing stuff. Tell you what, if I'm if I'm someone out there looking for a job and you're trying to attract the right type of people to your organisation, <laughs> when you when you're breaking deals like that, I feel like talents like knocking on the door to come work there. Excuse me, can I? Uh, I'd love to do that. Thanks. Yeah. How, how yeah. important <laughs> is, is the people of your organisation or attracting the right type of talent? I know Locke talked about earlier about getting the right people in that has maybe the right thought process or whatever. But how did you vet people to come and over the years, maybe you're learning your experiences of getting the right people in your organization that adds to the culture of what you were trying to create. So. Yeah, we've, we've hired kind of hundreds of people over the years um, and got a lot of them right, got some of them wrong. Um, and uh, it kind of became, we would hire by aptitude first, sorry, we would hire by attitude first and then aptitude second. So the attitude someone brings to a job would be more important than anything else. Are they willing to kind of like roll their sleeves up and, and work hard? Um, are they gonna do it with a smile on their face? Are they a dickhead or not? Um, hopefully not a dickhead. Um, we kind of used to have a thing called like a plane rule, which was, would you sit next to this person for 23 hours on a plane if you had to kind of go over to Europe or go on a work trip? And if you didn't want to sit next to someone for that long and kind of have a conversation, then they weren't worth hiring. Um, there was so a lot of kind of attitude, to be honest, became the most important thing because anyone can learn how to do something, but you can't unlearn a bad attitude. So we would just look around and try and find the people that had the right attitude and then we'd teach them. Um, of course, you need to have a base level of skills to get there. But if, you know, don't be a dick, um, it's probably the kind of the most important thing that we, that we learned um, after hiring people sometimes that were dicks and just didn't work out. Oh, 100%. It's one thing I used to tell candidates is show genuine enthusiasm for where you're going and what you're applying for. Like if you're, if you're going for a job like that, you, you need people there that want to do the work and are excited by the purpose. Like you were saying, like the story, they're, they're on board, they're, they're drinking the, the, the digital Kool-Aid, whatever, you yeah. know, like they're, they're, they're on team you. And, and also not everyone is made out for, people are made out for different sorts of companies. So some people work really well in a big company where you've got you know, reams like offices of lots of HR people and you have layers and you've got really clear, you know, steps of this is how you do stuff going through. That really suits some people. And then we were kind of like a smaller, nimbler company 
where we would, you know, to quote from early days of Facebook, move fast and break things. Um, and sometimes that was great because the decision, we would make a decision in the morning and we would enact it by the afternoon. And sometimes that would freak people out because they were like, what, I, I can't move this quicker. What do you mean we're going to do this? So I think it's okay that some people are made for big companies. Some people are made for medium-sized companies. Some people are made for small companies. And kind of like knowing that that is more a personality type rather than anything to do with who someone is or how good or bad they are at their job. Like that, that's okay to know that. Oh, I, love I like that. how you frame that. I do like how you frame that. But I'll tell you what, we had a chat the other day when we last spoke and we felt like you scroll back, you've, you've done a bit of everything. You also worked at Rolling Stone magazine. I did. Yeah. When I was kind of like um, in my very early um, 20s, um, I really wanted to become a writer. And I watched Almost Famous, you know, the, the show Almost Famous. So Love that movie. Yeah. Um, and I, I kind of like, I felt, I felt, I just loved the concept of Rolling Stone from a young age in terms of it's all about like embedding journalists in with bands to kind of get really deep in-depth stories that kind of like help understand who someone is. I just love that idea. So when I was about 19 or 20, um, I just sent cold emails to like the editor of Rolling Stone being like, I really want to write for you. Little did she know, she didn't, I had hardly any writing experience. I was like 19 or 20. I didn't say any of this in, in my email. I just kind of like kept badgering her being like, I really want to write for you. And what I did was similar to launching Junkie was I used to look through Rolling Stone and see what they covered, which at the time was like very rock focused and like it was Nirvana and it was like um, very kind of guitar driven stuff. And I was into dance music and electronic stuff. And I saw that Rolling Stone didn't actually have anyone to cover that side. So I saw there was an opportunity. So I pitched to her and said, I will want, I'll be your electronic music writer. I want to write about this new form, not new film, but growing form of music at the time that not many people were writing about. So she eventually kind of gave in and she gave me like a 50 word review to do. Um, and I spent like days, months, weeks, like so long on this, like trying to write 50 words on like a electronic music album. It's probably like Underworld or Chemical Brothers or something like that at the time. Um, and then I wrote this 50 word review and then kind of like sent it off and my first thought at the time was like, oh my God, this is the worst thing. She's going to see straight through this. It's the shittest piece of writing ever. And so she would read it and she would write, yeah, that was good. Awesome. Now do this next review. And then I'd do another review and it would be a hundred words. And the next review would be 200 words. Um, and then I just was writing lots of great feature stories and was really proud to write a lot about the Australian electronic music scene at the time. Um, one of my favorite features was on Kid Kenobi. Um, just after he'd won kind of like the In The Mix uh, one DJ award. And I remember kind of going to festivals and hanging out with him for like, you know, I was doing the old Rolling Stone thing, like embedding myself with him and hanging out with him for like days and weeks to write this kind of story. Um, and so, yeah, that just, it was, that was a really interesting time and it kind of gave me the, the, the startup in journalism that I needed. Oh, it feels like it's, you gained a lot of skills in that sense. Like when you're first starting out being 20 and learning on the job and like living the dream, so like pretty much isn't it like favorite yeah movie out there doing it and now do you, festivals now do you lean like... back on them skills now in what you're doing now and go well shit like i've really had a lot of different experiences and done a lot of different things and there's no wonder why you're writing your second book and you're on fire living in a bloody camper van with your bloke <laughs> and just traveling around and living the dream it's off its head isn't it it's been a good yeah 
Yeah, it's been, it was, it was lots of fun. Like I think that the chutzpah that you kind of have when you're young and naive is kind of quite amazing. And I wish I could bottle up that like belief in yourself that you can kind of do anything. Um, the older you get, the more you realize what you don't know. But I, I just loved that naivety. And I think anyone should kind of take advantage of at the, the early stages when you're starting a business, you have no fucking idea what you're in for. So just enjoy that and kind of like, you don't know how far you could, you could, you could fall. So just go, go for it. And you know, you got nothing to lose in those early days. So just, just, just freaking do it. Love that. That's great oh, advice. I feel like I'm going to clip that bad boy up and that's going to be a, a good little 30 it's second it's video. I, reckon. Oh, I like that. Inspire. Mate, tell us, you've <laughs> we've just started 2021. You've got, you're writing the second book, you're traveling around. What's plans for the rest of well, the rest of the year? What is plans for the, we're used to saying what's plans yeah. for the rest of the year. What the is plans for that year? What is plans for that year? Yeah. yeah. Thanks love. Yeah. <laughs> for, the, for the first time in my life, I have no set plans. And that like really excites me. So I'm writing my second book at the moment, which is all about kind of creativity in the workplace and how to be more creative at work. Um, and that is just so much fun because I'm interviewing and speaking to lots of different people. And I'm kind of just thinking about um, all the things I've learned in that space. Um, and that is about my only schedule for the entire year. So I'm just going to keep going in the camper van for as long as we can until I get bored. Then I'll stop somewhere. Um, I will start some new things. I will do some more kind of consulting. I'll invest in some companies that I really believe in. Um, that kind of excites me. It's kind of like just seeing, you know, where my heart goes and, and kind of where the passion is going to take me this year. And that's amazing because I've lived a very kind of like, not regimented, but a very, you know, I've been tied to my job and tied to work and loved every minute of it but also never been able to kind of properly explore stuff outside that because it's, it's been so much a part of me. So kind of like slowly separating myself from that and seeing, you know, where the wind blows for 2021 is going to be pretty exciting. Well, mate, you've worked hard for the freedom, mate. And um, you know, big love to you, mate. Thanks so much for jumping on the pod and, and blowing our minds, man. Like some of the stuff we touched on, I feel like our audience is going to flip its yeah, shit. So, so, this is a good chat. It was a great chat, man. Well, we thought it was a good chat. I hope you, hope you did Yeah, too, I hope we didn't waste your time, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, it was awesome. It was awesome. I mean, you know, I could be out at the beach at Esperance. I could be in here chatting with you and I know where I'd rather be chatting oh, with you like a, oh lucky mate. lucky you're still on record because that's the right answer <laughs> we're just gonna grab a screenshot and we'll let you go and enjoy the beach mate so give us yeah little, awesome got old flathead going up, i reckon make, all it, right. make it look all right i'll make get the right buttons <laughs> i've got a new computer so i'm trying to figure out what buttons i'm gonna click that was uh that was another unbelievable chat rob what do you think 10 out of 10 10 out of 10 you can't get any better than that can you should we just stop now well i just I, we could have talked all day we've talked to you a couple of times now and we've um, one recorded, one when we weren't, but mm. both times we, we could have gone down so many rabbit holes. He's had such amazing experience. He's just a very, very inspirational dude, and we're lucky that he, we've crossed paths. Oh, I'm just going to keep peppering him with texts, I reckon, just asking him to help us, I reckon, because he knows lots of stuff. On his days off. On his days off. What are you doing on Wednesday, Tim? Let's book in a Zoom. <laughs> what are you doing Thursday? <laughs> See you Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, See you Tim. Wednesday, Thursday, Tim. Um, if you like what you hear, Please leave us a, an Apple review. It actually means a lot. Puts us up in the algorithm too, and it actually does works for us. And if you've listened to this episode and you've loved it, and you haven't told a friend yet, go and do that now. Please do that. We'll see you on Thursday. No, we'll see you tomorrow. Bye. We'll see you tomorrow.